Three true stories. I drove down to the river each night to push sheets of green veneer into football field length machines at the plywood mill. Different thicknesses and kinds of wood required the dryers to be set to different temperatures. Before changing from one to another, I'd mark the last piece with black oily tar that everyone called paint and radio the graders at the other end. The tar was in a metal container shaped like a tall tea kettle. At the top of the handle was a lever that when pressed shot tar out of the spout. Don't get that shit on ya, Dean said when he was training me. It don't come off. One night in the middle of the graveyard shift, I radioed Dean, changing over to 45 fur strip and went to mark the last piece, but my kettle was empty. I waved down the jitney driver. They always carried a paint kettle. Now this particular jitney driver did not like me and I can't say I blamed him. I was a college kid only there for the summer. This job was his life and I often made it harder. Once a piece of veneer I threw sailed over the scrap bin and would have hit him had he not been driving so fast. As it was, it sailed harmlessly a few inches behind his head, but he still shook his fist at me. Another time when he was dropping off a load of veneer, I did not move the chains over far enough. The stack he was dropping off hit the spacer boards on top of the stack he'd just dropped off and sent them flying. After the boards finished bouncing off of his roll cage, he gave me a look that said, If I was sure you were 18, I'd whoop your ass. After spraying the last piece and sending it through the dryer, I rushed to give the kettle back to him. As I was running towards the jitney, I saw his normal scowl change into a look of shock. Then he turned away. I was still sprinting when I noticed a black line appear at the top of his yellow jitney going up, then another going down, joining a line at the bottom. I looked at my right hand. It was clenched around the handle, my thumb pressed firmly on the lever. I stood in awe as the jitney driver turned back toward me. Black Tar was dripping down his safety glasses and running into his goatee. I am so sorry. I mouthed, unable to speak loud enough to be heard over the din of the mill. I gingerly placed the can in its holder and backed away. My nickname for the rest of the summer was Paint. The next summer, I worked on the green chain, and my nickname was Crash. There were several times when I chased a piece of veneer down the belt only to trip and fall. Tripping and falling were a large slice in the pie chart of movement during my teenage years. My junior year, I was sprinting off the field after a play when the coach shouted, No! Clemens, stay on! My upper body turned back toward the huddle, but my lower body kept going toward the sideline. That kid sure is excited to be here. I'll give him that, one of my friends overheard the coach say as I hit the deck. And who wouldn't have been after a pregame speech like the one he had given us? He wrote five words on the chalkboard, then circled the first letter of each, spelling heart. The team with the biggest heart is going to win this one, he shouted. Then our coach opened a cooler and pulled out a bloody, oversized heart. The best way to describe what happened next is to say that we reacted like a locker room full of teenage boys would react after being shown a bloody, oversized heart. Our knotted teenage emotions came undone. We turned into a screaming scrum trying to touch it. A lucky few got enough blood on their fingers to rub under their eye black. We were ready to march into battle. Unfortunately, we were tasked with marching into an end zone. We lost, 56 to zero. 
We failed to even get one first down. It was our homecoming. That night, no one drove out behind the dump overlooking the river to get drunk after the game. The worst part for me, though, besides falling down without being tackled, was that I helped to sack our own quarterback. I was an O-lineman. I was supposed to pull and roll and block the rusher coming through from the other side. But by the time I rolled, the rusher was already going past and attempting to tackle our QB. In my mind, I was helping hold up our quarterback and keeping him from being sacked. But in the game film, I was keeping our quarterback, who had shaken off one defender, from making a pass until he got earholed by another defender. Earhold was a term I learned from Mr. Pfeiffer, as in, Clemens, I was at the Chuila game Friday, and I saw you get earholed on the 15-yard line. I'm surprised you are in class. Mr. Pfeiffer tucked his button-ups into his slacks and always had a sharpened pencil behind his ear. He taught history. To pass his class, you had to be able to put together a puzzle of the 50 states in 60 seconds. When a student was ready to be timed, Mr. Pfeiffer would gather the class. The rule was the person putting together the puzzle could ask where a piece was, but not where it went. James Wilkin, after placing West Virginia, kept shouting, Where is East Virginia? Someone point to East Virginia! Mr. Pfeiffer said things like, C students are average, and... Anyone who wants an A or a B will need to volunteer on Saturday. We are helping the Historical Society uncover a raft from the banks of the Columbia River. Once, I turned in a project a day late. He told me, you can hang it on the wall, but it will just be a decoration. I do not grade late work. I explained the extenuating circumstances to which he responded, that's life. Well, you know what else is life? I asked him after I hung up my project. When your car breaks down on the side of the road and someone stops to help you, that's also life. Well, Natty Clemens, I guess you're going to find out what life is actually like then, aren't you? I guess so, I said over my shoulder. The report was on a river runs through it. You left out the best line, Mr. Pfeiffer wrote in gray script. Next to my grade, I am haunted by waters. That's life, growing up next to a river, at least. Mm -hmm.